0: In 1816, the author E.T.A. Hoffman published a story titled The Nutcracker and the Mouse King in a volume of children's stories in Germany. The story follows a young girl named Marie, whose favorite Christmas toy, a nutcracker doll, comes to life and does battle with an evil mouse king and then whisks Marie away to an enchanted world. It's a pretty dark and gruesome tale, There were deaths and revenge plots, and Marie herself sustains a pretty serious injury. Not at all the kind of thing you'd see published as a children's story today. Almost thirty years later, author Alexander Dumas, the same guy who wrote The Three Musketeers, would adapt the story. Marie became Clara, the blood and gore were taken out, and we end up with a more child-friendly version of the story that most of us would recognize today one that 50 years later would become the basis for that most famous and Christmassy ballet, the Nutcracker. Decorative Nutcrackers, most often resembling a toy soldier but available in countless other characters, are synonymous with the Christmas season. But why? That's a story whose origins predate Christmas itself, and whose history involves a mining town, Napoleon, dance theater, and World War II. So let's get cracking. I'm Brian Earle. This is Christmas Past. You may have noticed that I've already made a couple of references to nutcrackers with a qualifier. Nutcracker doll, or decorative nutcracker. Because you've probably noticed this too, most of those wooden Christmas nutcrackers you're likely to find today are missing something important, namely an ability to actually crack a nut. Try it yourself, but you're likelier to crack the nutcracker itself than you are to crack open a nutshell.
1: They were used to, only to crack nuts up until people started collecting them just for decoration.
0: That's Arlene Wagner. She's one of the founders and the curator of the Leavenworth Nutcracker Museum in Leavenworth, Washington. She's also 98 years old. I
1: am 98 years old, yes.
0: Uh huh. She also bears the distinction of being the first ever guest on Late Night with Conan O'Brien back in 1993. The Leavenworth Nutcracker Museum is a major tourist attraction, welcoming more than 30,000 visitors a year. It's even recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records for its massive collection of more than 7,000 nutcrackers, or as Arlene puts it, "...nutcracking devices." Okay, nutcracking devices. But nutcracker, nutcracking device, why is that a distinction worth making? Well, because that distinction is actually the very beginning of our story. And I do mean the very beginning. Because for as long as people have eaten nuts, and that's a really long time, they've needed a way to crack them open. And it would be a while before we'd invent specialized tools for cracking nuts, and later intricately decorative versions of those tools. Our prehistoric ancestors used nut-cracking stones. These were stones with a little divot carved into it so that a nut could sit on the stone without sliding or rolling away. Another stone was placed on top of the nut, and, with pressure applied, the nutshell would crack. Now, metal nutcrackers with a hinge go back to the 3rd or 4th century BCE. But let's get back to Arlene's comment about people collecting Christmas nutcrackers that don't actually crack nuts. To get from prehistoric nutcrackers to the present day, we've got to connect quite a few dots. We've already taken care of one. People eat nuts, so people need nutcrackers. That has nothing to do with Christmas, but it's necessary groundwork. So what is the connection to Christmas? Well, mostly the timing.
1: The nuts ripened in the fall. They were ready for Christmas. So many of the things that the nuts went into were Christmas items. You know, Grandma had to have them to make all of her cookies and things.
0: Of course. Most traditional Christmas foods involve items from the fall harvest, fruit and nuts and gourds and the like. Certainly, nuts would become a common sight in the house at Christmas time, and as a result, so would nutcrackers. But then again, so would other kitchen items like rolling pins and bowls. What makes nutcrackers in particular special? Well, it had to do with people getting creative with nutcrackers made of wood. Early wooden nutcrackers were simply two pieces of wood fastened together with a strip of leather. They were strictly functional. But soon, there would be wooden nutcrackers with intricately carved designs. By the 15th century, we see the earliest known examples of figural nutcrackers. And this would grow into a tradition of creating a wide variety of figures.
1: All different kinds of figures. Hunters, kings. Uh, soldiers, bishops, and monks, and all kinds of animals. Napoleon. Napoleon is, of all of the historical figures, Napoleon is probably the
0: most popular. We need to take a little step back and think about the idea of a figural nutcracker. No matter the figure, the idea is usually the same. You place the nut into the figure's mouth and use a lever in the back to crack the nut. So, isn't it a little mocking or contemptuous to make them in the image of bishops or monks or Napoleon?
1: These were first made as figures of authority. These were common men that were making these nutcrackers. And they were oppressed, of course, and they made them in figures of authority and they enjoyed having these figures of authority working for them. And they always say to crack the hard
0: nuts of life. So nutcrackers become a common sight at Christmas. They become decorative and figural. We're getting closer. We're connecting more of those dots. And along the way, and presumably separate from anything to do with Christmas, these nutcrackers became symbols of good luck and protection of the home, even helping to drive away evil spirits. But the next step in really making nutcrackers a proper Christmas tradition would involve, essentially, the creation of a sort of nutcracker industry. And we see the beginnings of that in the 17th century in the town of Seifen in Germany.
1: It was a mining area. They used to to do the carving just as a hobby in the evenings. And then as the mines became depleted of the ore, then they used their hobby as their way of making money.
0: And some historians cite these particular specimens from Siphon as the first examples of what we'd recognize today as a Christmas nutcracker. They were most typically in the figure of the familiar toy soldier. The Siphon area would go on to become known for producing all manner of Christmas-related items, and it remains so to this day.
1: It's absolutely a marvelous place to visit.
0: Those nutcrackers made by the craftspeople of Siphon were still hand-carved. But in the next century, we see the first examples of nutcrackers produced on a lathe. By this time, figural nutcrackers have become very common in Germany and very popular at Christmas time. This brings us roughly to around the time when E.T.A. Hoffman was writing his children's story and helps explain perhaps why a nutcracker would feature so prominently in it. Toward the end of the 19th century, we see true mass production of nutcrackers taking off. And it all started with a German man many refer to as the father of the nutcracker, Wilhelm Fischner. And he first
1: made a production and he would put them together along with different uh, hats and different accessories
0: and make different figures.
1: The Fischner family today are in their sixth generation of making nutcrackers.
0: About 20 years later, the Nutcracker Ballet debuted in Russia. It wouldn't become widely known in America until 1944, when a production debuted in San Francisco. And around that same time period, we saw American soldiers stationed in Germany sending German-made nutcrackers back home. So, as ancient as nutcrackers are in general, or as old as decoratively carved ones are in particular, Christmas nutcrackers as we know them today have only been around for a few centuries. And they've only really been a mainstream part of American Christmas for a few generations. And of course, along the way they became more of a collectible decoration rather than a functional tool. Of course, you can still find a working one if you try. Or you can visit the Nutcracker Museum to see all 7,000-plus nutcrackers in this collection, including some 300 Santa Claus designs. Well, maybe you have your own nutcracker collection. Collectibles are part of many families' Christmas traditions, and collecting a new item each season helps to tell the story of your family's Christmas. That's something Lisa in Michigan can relate to as she recalls in this Christmas memory.
2: When I had my first born child, I decided to buy them an ornament every year. The only rule was that it had to be an angel. I had great fun finding new styles of angels every year, and they seemed to love it too, especially as they grew older. When my oldest was 12, I and their stepdad ended up having triplets. So our ornament tradition suddenly grew to include a reindeer style for one triplet, Snowmen or snow snow person for another triplet, and then stars or snowflakes for the third, depending on what was available that year. It's been truly wonderful to watch each of my kids embrace their ornaments and kind of grow up with them. While I expected to end the tradition when the kids left home, my oldest made it clear that wasn't acceptable. For them, Christmas isn't Christmas without a new angel ornament from mom.
0: So what Christmas memories are coming to mind for you as we begin the 2023 season? Share it with the rest of the Christmas Past family. All you have to do is record yourself speaking into your phone's voice memo app and send it to christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. Keep it reasonably short, clean and family friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California, by yours truly, Brian Earle. If you're listening in real time, this episode arrives on Thanksgiving Day. So, Happy Thanksgiving! I'm looking forward to spending another Christmas season with you, with new episodes coming out on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and of course, our annual Christmas in Review that'll arrive on Christmas Day. And there might even be a couple of bonus episodes here and there. So stay subscribed so you don't miss anything. Thanks so much to Arlene Wagner and Lisa in Michigan, and as always, thank you for listening! You can drop me a line anytime at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and let me invite you to join our private Christmas Past Facebook group if you haven't yet. And hey, if you're really feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover the show? It's as easy as telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do leave a review, I'll send you a Christmas Past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card as my way of saying thanks. Reach out for details. And until we meet again, may your days be merry and bright.